All right. Good morning, Hope City Church. If you will, please uh, stand for the reading of today's word. It comes from Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll be reading verses 10 through 17. Uh, A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You may be seated. Well, let me just say again, uh, hello, glad you're here today uh, in church together. And um, I do want to say something before I jump into the message. I do want to make an announcement, and that is that starting next week, we're changing up the service times a little bit. You know, if you're you know, around Hope City much at all, you know, you know, write everything down in pencil. And so uh, we're changing up the service times. It doesn't affect this service, but it does affect the first service. So we've been having 9.30 and 11.30, and we gave ourselves that break just for, we were worried about parking and things like that, but our team, we have an amazing team that's, you know, worked it out for us, and so we're going to close that gap down. So instead of 9.30 and 11.30, it's going to be 9, or excuse me, it's going to be 10 and 11.30, so we're just moving that. And you could really help us if you're uh, the type of person who, uh, doesn't mind coming a little earlier. Um, the 11:30 service is bigger than the first service, not by a lot, but by a little bit. But when we have guests, they predominantly come to this service more. And so, if you are already up and an Adam in your day and, and wouldn't mind, uh, you know, maybe trying out that 10 o'clock service, it would really it would really help us out. So that starts next week, uh, 10 a.m. and 11:30 uh, is our service times. Okay, cool. We have, the last several weeks, we have been taking our Sunday messages to talk about a really serious and heavy topic that we're continuing today. And we're, we're calling these talks Angels and Demons, which I say every week, like, needs a sound effect. You know, when you say Angels and Demons, it's like, dun-dun-dun. But really, it's a topic about spiritual warfare. That's really what these messages have been about, is, is the idea of um, spiritual warfare, And one of the things I love about our church is that there's so many different um, spiritual backgrounds, religious backgrounds. And so as I say spiritual warfare, there are some of you who are like, I've never heard that phrase before. I have no idea what you're talking about. And then there are others of you that are like, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like every Wednesday night as a kid, like that's what we went to class and, you know, preached on and and my grandmother, you know, all these things. Like you, you are all, you, you're very versed in this idea. And in between those two extremes is just so many different experiences about that um, supernatural realm, that supernatural thing that's happening uh, all around us. And that's what we've been talking about is what's happening in that supernatural, invisible realm, what the, what the Bible calls heavenly places. 
And the way that we're defining spiritual warfare is really just a simple definition of saying that spiritual warfare is the fight or the battle that takes place between good and evil for your soul. Spiritual warfare is the fight that is taking place between good and evil for your soul. And I don't know if you knew that or not. I don't know if you knew that there was a fight taking place or if you knew that there was good and evil or if you knew that the prize for the fight was your soul. But all of those things are true. Whether you know it or not, all of those things are true. There's a fight taking place. And so our starting point for all of this was just to admit and to come to terms with the fact that the devil is real. That was our first kind of foundational starting place. He's not, you know, a figment of our imagination. He's not wearing like a Halloween costume with a pitchfork and red horns, but he's very real. Jesus talked about the devil at least 26 times in the gospels, maybe a little bit more, and gave us information about the devil. And what we learned about the devil is that, you know, Hollywood has kind of made it seem like that, that, that the devil's main goal is to make us weird and, uh, you know, to, to need an exorcism or something really spooky or crazy. But what Jesus said is that the devil's main objective, his main strategy is just to get you believing lies. That his main weapon of attack, his main agenda is for you to be convinced that things that are not true are true. And things that are true are, are actually lies. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit more today. But we've also said that while these things are real and while these things are true, we don't have to live in fear. Like it, it has a weight to it. There is something intimidating about it. But we do not have to live in fear because we know that Jesus and the cross gives us victory. We'll talk about that a little bit more. So we don't want to live in fear, but we also don't want to be naive either, right? Uh, we, we, we've said it like this. We don't want to be oblivious, but we don't want to be obsessed either. And those tend to be the extremes when it comes to spiritual things and supernatural things and um, extraterrestrial things, if you will, you know, you either are like, I don't care at all. Don't talk to me. Or like, can we have a six hour, like lunch breakdown about it? I've got some theories. I've got some ideas. And this is not a new thing. These two extremes. Um, we've shared this quote several times on social media and stuff about these talks, but C.S. Lewis described it this way, talking about the devil and these extremes. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about the devil's one is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive, unhealthy interest in them. And the point that he was making is that both of these are incredibly dangerous for our souls. To act as if evil doesn't exist, the devil's not real, that there's not some real threat to our souls, that's ridiculous. And to be obsessed with them uh, is, is ridiculous as well. So we don't want to be oblivious right? But we don't want to be obsessed either. There's not a demon behind every bush, but there are some demons behind some bushes. You know what I mean? And so that's kind of been where we are. And today we want to talk about, kind of take the next step in, this, in these talks. And we want to talk about how do we survive? How do we resist? If there is this battle and there is, and they're coming for our soul and they are, then how do we resist it? How do we stand firm against these attacks or in this, this battle? It's a worthwhile question. It's a question that hopefully you've been wondering and, and you've been asking because you should. 
How, how do, like, what do we do? And is there any hope? And can we overcome? And can we change? I think every human being thinks this question, has this thought in their mind, but I know, I think it's true for everybody, but I know it's true for parents. Because I'm a parent and I talk to a lot of parents. And one of the concerns of parents is what is influencing your child. Isn't that true? Like, yeah, we don't want them to do bad things, you know, and have, they want them to have manners and things like that, you know, don't burp at the table, don't chew with your mouth open. I don't know if y'all are making progress on those. We're working on that at our house. And... But you know what I've noticed in my conversation with parents and my friends who are parents is that we're not as much concerned about manners and things like that as much as we are about more of the intangible things that are happening in the lives of our children. And here's what I know about parents is like, we want to know who they're hanging out with. We want to know what they're watching and what they're taking in, not because we're trying to be fearful, but because we know that there are influential things that affect the trajectory and the path of your life, whether you can explain them or not, or whether it seems obvious or not. Every parent in the room is very concerned about what's influencing your child. How is that? Where does that come from? It comes from believing that there's something else happening beyond what you're just seeing on the page or what's happening on a screen or what's happening in a relationship. Maybe you've wondered this about our society or our culture. Is there any hope? Is, can it ever get any better? And how do, how do we turn, you know, the page? How do we turn the corner uh, in, in this? If you've ever looked around and seen evil, horrendous, despicable things happen, someone doing something or someone promoting something or so on, someone uh, being okay with something. And there's been this feeling inside of you that is, is confused or angry or sad. And you think to yourself, how could they do that? How could they be okay with that? What you're experiencing in those moments is a reality that there's something worse than bad out there. There's bad, there's good, there's bad, but there's something worse than bad. And all of us in the room, we've done bad things. We've had bad things happen to us. But whenever you have those moments of incredible violence or incredible racism or incredible oppression or, or something incredibly perverted or like something that you just think, how could a human being be there, do that, be okay with that? What's happening in that moment is you are recognizing and admitting there's something beyond what I'm seeing here. There's something influencing stronger than I realized it was influencing. There's something worse than bad. And even as I say all of this, can I just be honest with you? As I was working on this message this week, even as I was saying all of this, a lot of you know, like, I am a full-on recovering cynic. Like, I, I, I can be skeptical easily. I can be cynical easily. I want to know why for everything. And, and so a lot of times as I'm putting together messages, I'm always thinking, like, what the cynical, skeptical person is thinking. I can't help it. And as I was working on this message, I was thinking that I know in the room right now, as I'm saying this, I know in the room right now, there are some people who are kind of rolling their eyes and thinking to themselves, like, is this for real? Like, is this dude up there really talking about a, a devil being real or it feels really superstitious or it feels silly? 
Maybe some of you walked away from faith because you were related to or around people who were incredibly zealous in their faith. And it wasn't so much that they embodied the spirit of Christ or the spirit of God, but it was more that they were just maniacal and superstitious and angry and mean and, and, and you know, just constantly had this negative outlook on the world. And they used militant terms. And maybe as I'm saying all of this, you're thinking like, here we go again, Right? And your view, your view is something along the lines that like, yeah, there's a God probably, I believe there's a God, he's a little more hands off probably than, than you think. And, and if there is like a, a real source of evil, it's out there, but it's probably not as drastic as Christian make, Christians make it sound. And, and you know, what's interesting about that kind of skeptical, cynical view of evil is that it's only about 200 years old. It's very popular in our culture and society, but it's only about 200 years old because up until about 200 years ago, Western civilization almost universally believed in supernatural beings, uh, outside influence in life. And even if you weren't a Christian, you still kind of held to the theological belief of the original sin. Meaning that since Adam and Eve sinned, that sin entered into the human heart and it put like a real evil in the hearts of human beings, this innate spiritual evil in our heart. And the reason I say all of that is because in the world, in the society that we live in, it feels very normal. It's because of the enlightenment and a lot of different ways just to say that like, those of us who live now, we think we're really smart. We think we're really enlightened and we can kind of have an explanation for everything. But cynicism or denial of some type of outside influence on the world is a very modern idea. And what's happened instead then is that in the last 200 years, but especially in the last 50 years, our society and our culture has begun to believe that any of the evil that exists in the world can be explained in human terms. So anywhere where you see something just awful and evil happening, it's because of bad parenting, it's because of bad education, it's because of bad economic policies, it's because of uh, bad religious beliefs. And if we could just fix parenting, if we could just fix education, if we could just eradicate religion, if we could just change education, then we could eliminate or we could at least change or overcome this evil. We can fix it. This is a very modern idea that it's within our grasp that we can fix it. And so we have spent gazillions of dollars. We've elected politician after politician. We've hired marketing firms. We've put people through training We've tried everything that we can do, but it is not getting better. We can't fix it. Violence, domestic abuse, sex trafficking, greed, poverty. Listen, it's worse than it's ever been. Statistically, not just in our gut. Like, it's worse than it's ever been. Even with all of our effort. And so I say all of that to say, if you are here and you are cynical or skeptical to this idea that like, What's wrong with the world is spiritual and what would fix the world would be spiritual. I would hope that you would be intellectually honest enough to at least admit that our logic and our attempts to eradicate evil has not provided the answers that we claim that they would. 
And that anytime you find somebody with a really simple solution for a complex problem, you are dealing with someone who thinks that the evil and the wrong in the world can be explained in human terms. But that's not the Christian view. The Christian view is not that what's wrong with the world can be fixed in human terms. Can we make the world a better place? Do we love our neighbor? Are we generous? Do we help? Do we model? You better believe it. But at the end of the day, the answer lies in the saving of a soul and the fighting and resisting of an enemy. So the Christian view is that evil is real. It exists. It comes from the devil. And that son of God is really persuasive. He's really influential. He really does move the needle. And so today, what I want to do is I want to answer two questions about evil as we move forward in, this, in these conversations. I want to answer two questions. The first question about the spiritual war and evil. The first question is, how can we spot it? How can we recognize it? How can we see it? And then the second question is, how do we fight it? If it's real and it is, and it's happening in heavenly realms, and it is, then, then how do we see it and recognize it? And when we do, then how do we, how do we fight it? So let's look at both of those. Let's start with the first one. How can we recognize evil? How can we, how can we spot it? The reason this is an important question is because what Brad read to us today says that this spiritual resistance that we face happens in spiritual realms. We can't see it. Think of it as like carbon dioxide poisoning. That it, we, it's not blatantly obvious that it's doing harm to you until potentially it's too late. And what makes it even harder to recognize, there was this little phrase that Brad read to us. It was in verse 11. But there was this phrase that said, um, the strategies of the devil. The strategies of the devil. He's got a game plan. But in the NIV translation, we read from the New Living. A little bit older in the NIV translation, they use this phrase. They say, the schemes of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against the, the schemes of the devil. Now, when I, when I read that, I, I kind of intuitively know what scheming means for someone to be a schemer. But I was curious, like what, like technically speaking, what is a scheme? And, and this is the dictionary definition of a scheme. This is so powerful that the, that the technical definition of a scheme or dictionary definition of a scheme is a large-scale systematic plan putting a particular idea into effect. So I want you to think about this. We've already talked about how the devil's main strategy is, is, is lies and truth. And, and the words translated here, scheme says that this, this war that is happening, that the devil has schemes. The devil has a large scale systematic plan to put particular ideas into effect. This reminds us again that our biggest concern, our, our strongest attack doesn't come through necessarily movies or Ouija boards or backtracking music. I'm going way back on that one. I don't even... Anybody get to talk about that? I don't know. 
Never made sense to me. It's like I can listen to it going the right direction and it's a bad song, right? Anyway, um, I don't know where that came from. Anyway, that that's not our ultimate concern. Our ultimate concern should be ideas, ideas, beliefs, the way that we believe that things are what we believe to be is true, as true. And what makes it hard is that evil never shows up wearing a sign saying, I'm evil. No one ever pitches an idea and says, listen, let me just be up front with you. This is an evil idea, but let me just throw it out. No, it's actually the opposite. That evil never looks evil until it accomplishes its goal. And then you say, how did we get here? Matter of fact, the same guy who wrote the passages that we read today in another letter to the Corinthian church said it this way. He said, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Which means that there are times when it would be possible to be influenced or embracing dark ideas that seem to be light. Seem to be light. Now, again, let me just stop for a second. Let's just take a little break. Because as I say to you that there are influencing ideas that potentially are evil that we don't recognize, but we need to be on guard against, there is a little bit of like PTSD for me. Because if you're a certain age, you remember that your parents told you the video games were evil. Right? My mom told me New Kids on the Block was evil because I wanted a shirt, but that's a separate story. My great-grandfather thought that social security numbers and debit cards were evil. One world economy, anybody got a couple of those? I mean, we could list all of the things, and it's easy to laugh, and we should laugh because it's ridiculous. But that's part of the trap, too, right? Right? Because it's easy to then say, well, let's don't overreact. Nothing, it's not that big a deal. And it's true because if everything's a big deal, then nothing's a big deal. That's free parenting, marriage, business advice right there, okay? If everything's a big deal, if you're always here, nobody takes you seriously, all right? It's free advice. But if everything's a big deal, nothing's a big deal. But there are some things that are a big deal, which requires wisdom and depth and emotional health and Spiritual maturity to say, I'm not going to write everything off. But surely there are some things that I'm assuming are not a big deal that may potentially actually be a big deal. And maybe trying to influence my life with ideas that are actually evil and darkness. And when I say that we can't see it and they come as hidden ideas, we all have a friend who's a conspiracy theorist and we get a little nervous Oh, I know, I know, they know all about the evil ideas that nobody else knows about, but they've read about them and I'd love to tell you about them because they know. And we don't want to be those types of people. So please don't hear me saying that we need to walk around picking up every rock and looking underneath to see all of the things that nobody else knows about, but we know about and tell everybody else about because that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we have to at least admit that there is a devil who is sometimes 
disguising himself as light and his main objective is to get you to be convinced that something that is a lie is actually true. And something that is true is actually a lie. He's not so much worried about your actions if he can get you believing ideas. And so I think we have to um, at least consider this morning. We have to at least consider that there are some actions or ideas that I have right now currently in my life that I believe are good, but they are actually harming me. I just don't know it. I mean, if what we're saying is true today, then we have to, it can't just be about everybody else. We have to stop in this moment and say, if it's hard to spot, if potentially it's like carbon dioxide, if potentially it's about ideas, if potentially I'm susceptible, if that's true, then it could be possible that right now at this moment, I believe something that is not true, but I'm convinced it's true and it's harming me, not helping me, and I am completely oblivious to it. I would have to at least admit that. And so how can I know? How can I know if potentially I'm being influenced by an evil idea? I wanna give you two ways. One of these comes straight out of what we read this morning. The other one is just kind of in the Bible as a whole. But two questions I think we can ask when we're wanting to know if we're potentially being influenced by evil. The first question is this, what are you wrestling with? What are you wrestling with? Paul in this passage we read says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So in essence, so he is, he is implying that there is that there is a wrestling happening. He's implying that there is some type of angsty, discontented, uh, agitated, concerning, convicting, give and take spiritually happening in our lives. And so what are you wrestling with? What ideas are you debating in your mind? What what used to feel right but doesn't necessarily feel right anymore? What potentially are you rationalizing but as you rationalize it, you're also not sure if you believe it yourself? If you're here and you're a believer in Christ, that means that you are filled with the Spirit of Christ. So here's a question for you. What are you feeling convicted about? Because if you have the Spirit of God in you, then you have moments in time where the Bible says the Spirit will lead you to truth. It will guide you to truth, which means if you're going the wrong way, like Siri on that map, it's going to say rerouting, rerouting, rerouting. Guess what that is? Conviction. You're going the wrong way. You turn. Is there anything that you're convicted about? Anything that used to feel right that doesn't feel right anymore? Any conversations, any, any beliefs, any ideas about God, about the world, about your life, about purpose that you're just really wrestling with? If so, and I hope so, then I would be willing to bet that within that wrestling, you, what's happening is that spiritually you are wrestling between a lie and a truth. You're wrestling between a lie and a truth. And Tim Keller has a great quote. He says, by the time you recognize evil, it has its hands around your neck. It's really interesting because we're gonna talk about the armor of God because he says put on the armor of God, but first he says we wrestle. So it's like, it's like a conflicting metaphor. But point being, we're much more comfortable with armor and the idea of spiritual attack and the idea of like 
proclaiming and all that other stuff. But the way that Paul describes it first is he says, like, it's on you. Like, it's, it's on you, and you're having to wrestle with it. So that's the first thing I would say, what are you wrestling with? The second thing I would say, which is hard and subtle, is what are you defensive about? What are you defensive about? You know, the Bible says that the truth will set you free, and we all know this to be true. Um, but initially, it's incredibly inconvenient or it's scary. It's why people who are drowning, who are trying to be saved, wrestle off a lifeguard, right? It's why people who um, are, are trapped or stuck in unhealthy relationships don't necessarily get out right away because even though the truth can set you free, there's great comfort in lies. There's great familiarity in dishonest things that we believe to be true. We don't believe they're dishonest or we would reject them, but we don't. And so in that, when someone who loves you or a spiritual leader in your life or a sermon or a friend comes up, what are the things in your life right now that you are incredibly defensive about? Hey, mind your own business. Don't worry about me. No, it's, I'm fine. And you, I, you don't need to worry about that. We all have it. it. I think it's possible that the most dangerous sins in your life may be the ones you're the most defensive about. Because you are not convinced that something that is harming you, you're convinced that something that is actually harming you is, is maybe good for you. And so what are you wrestling with and what are you defensive about? These are ways we can begin to spot, ways that we can begin to see things beyond just the earthly life that we are living. Is it possible? Is it possible? We're not gonna make everything a big deal, but is it possible that based on my relationships, based on my input, based on uh, what I want to be true, based on a lot of things in, in my life, is it possible that I'm being systematically influenced to believe things that are not true? But the second question, after we work to spot it, after we ask the Holy Spirit to have a spot it, after we look within to spot it, the second question is, how do we fight it? How do we fight it? How do we resist it? How do we keep standing? And I, I'm going to tell you, but first I want to tell you how we don't do it. <laughs> Let me tell you how we don't fight it. First, we don't fight it by trying to be a really good person. Evil will not be overcome by manners and morals by itself. Okay? So the way you overcome evil is not to just try to be a really good person or, and this is hard for us religious people to hear sometimes, but by trying to make other people good people. We think, well, we'll fix evil if we can just figure out a way to make everybody live according to our moral standard. We think that'll solve the problem. That's not going to solve the problem because it's not a flesh and blood problem. You with me? So we don't, like, goodness is not the way you fight it. I'll tell you another way you don't fight it, and that's by being a spiritual germaphobe. I don't know if that's a real thing. I made that phrase up, but here's what I mean. Everybody knows a germaphobe. Okay, it's that, but with all spiritual things. And when I, when I was thinking about like a spiritual germaphobe, the first thought that came to mind was the really early days of COVID. Now, listen, I think it's hard to be in charge. I think making decisions is, I know what that feels like. I can't imagine what that's like for societies and cities and 
countries. So this is not me like dogging authority because I actually have a lot of grace for authority, right? About, about the COVID thing. But if you remember like really early on in COVID, there were some crazy rules. Like my daughter played soccer and the ball would roll out of bounds and we would have to take the ball, spray it with disinfectant, wipe it down and put it back in the game. I was one of the parents that would have to do that. There was this fear that like, COVID would come off the ball to the foot, to the mouth. And so there was this fear. Um, but I, I remember like um, I played golf. And so like you weren't allowed to touch the flag stick, you know, and there was a fear of that. And later on, we kind of said like, okay, maybe that we, we're learning now. That's not it. And we didn't know what we didn't know. So again, I'm not like, I'm, I'm joking about it. But take that as an example, take that analogy and apply that to our spiritual lives. The way that we fight evil is not to be a spiritual germaphobe. Oop, don't touch that, don't watch that, don't say that, don't sing that, don't go there, don't go with them, don't go there, don't, 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 like, oh, oh, oh. And listen, if I could just, again, I know I've talked to parents a lot today, if I could just give a little bit of parenting advice, I know we're trying our best, parents, I'm not trying to condemn, I know we're trying our best, I know we want the best for our children, but if that's the way that you're kind of conveying spirituality, I think you run a risk of pushing your children away from Jesus and spirituality. He has already won victory over the enemy on the cross, and we will be ultimately victorious. But in between, we are living this life with victory already on our side. So we don't have to live in perpetual fear. Are you with me? So we're not, we're not trying to just be really good people, or we don't want to be a spiritual germaphobe. But we also don't want to be oblivious. We have to admit that we do need some type of protection, that we are susceptible. It's like sunburn. Just got back from spring break, and the first day, like, half my family got roasted because Andrew would say, let me put some sunscreen on you, and they'd be like, no, I'm fine. And you don't realize it till later that night, right? Well, that's what it's like facing the enemy is if we say, like, well, I'm fine. I don't need to worry about it. I can go anywhere, say anything, do anything, watch anything. It doesn't matter what I do. I will not be overcome by evil. You're an idiot. You have to at least admit to yourself, I'm not as strong as I think I am, and I am potentially susceptible. I'm capable of being influenced by evil ideas and actions. And so what we do then, how do we fight this? Paul says we put on, the phrase he uses, or the, the metaphor he uses, is we put on the armor of God. Now, again, I don't know your religious background. If you went to a VBS or a children's church, or I don't know if they taught it in Catholic school, I'm not sure about that. But, but if you were a kid in church, you probably at some point heard a little bit about the armor of God. Maybe there was an illustration. And it's, it's, it's brilliant. It's timeless. Paul is a master writer. And so this metaphor is something we can all understand. But Paul is saying to these Christians, I want you to think of the strongest, um, most defending uh, person you know, somebody who could withstand an attack. And of course, the people who are reading this are going to think of Roman soldiers. And so Paul says, okay, let's think about a Roman soldier, but let's think about it spiritually. If you want to withstand the enemy, dress like a Roman soldier for Jesus. Put on a helmet, put on a chest plate, put on a belt, put on some sandals, have a shield, have a sword. Spiritually speaking, don't try to survive this battle in your bathrobe. 
Put some gear on. And then he tells us what the gear is. He says the gear is truth, righteousness, good news, faith, salvation, and the Spirit. This is the gear. This is, the, this is what we have that we can put on and wear to defend ourselves against evil. Truth, righteousness, good news, faith, salvation, and the Spirit. And what's interesting about this is that Paul 100% puts the responsibility on us to put it on. Which is what's so interesting about Christianity because what, one of the things that separates Christianity from all other religions is that there is this dual tension. And here's what I mean. In Christianity, we believe that everything has been done for you in Jesus Christ. It's all done. It's finished. Jesus Christ went to the cross, and in that, when you put your faith in him, everything was done. That's true. And we also believe that while faith in Jesus has done it all, there are also things that we should do. It's this dual tension that we have. That there are, like, so, so in Christ, you know, we put our faith in Christ and the next day, the delivery man dropped off a box with all the things that God gives us in order to live an amazing Christian life. But you have to actually do it. You have to actually put it on. You have to actually practice it, right? It's like having Ikea furniture. You can go and buy a chair and put it in your house in the box and say, I have a chair, and you do have a chair. In the same way that you do have victory over the power of sin, you do. It's in a box sitting over in the corner. But you have to take it out of the box and put it together. And this is what the Apostle Paul means when he says, stand your guard, stand strong, put on the armor of God. He's putting the responsibility on you and saying, look, I've given you what you need to win this battle. So don't just wear your bathrobe. Put on truth and righteousness and good news and faith and salvation and the Spirit. And we don't have time to break all these down. But in each one of these is a, is a power that gives us victory over the enemy. Let me tell you what the enemy wants for your life. He wants you to quit. He wants you to give up. He wants you to feel defeated. He wants you to feel discouraged. He wants you to give up your faith. He wants you to have enough doubts that you think it's ridiculous. He wants you to be so discouraged and so disappointed in God that you're willing to give up on your faith in God. He wants you to give up on your marriage. He wants you to believe ideas about monogamy and sex and commitment and covenant. He wants you to believe lies about that. He wants you to feel entitled. He wants you to believe that you deserve more and that life should give it to you. He wants you to give up on your life. Some of you are thinking about ending your life and calling it quits because you believe ideas that are not true, like what your life is worth and how much you are loved and, and whether or not people want you around and they are lies from the enemy. He wants you to quit. He wants you to throw in the towel. Everybody listen to me. Don't do it. Don't do it. You say, Jason, I'm trying not to do it. How do I not do it? Well, Paul says you do it through truth and righteousness and good news 
and faith and salvation in the Spirit. You do it by believing the truth, finding the truth. Where are you getting your information? What have you given authority to to dictate what is true in your life? I know it sounds old school, but like, do you have any Bible verses memorized? Are you reading the Bible? Are you talking to anyone who believes in the truth of Scripture? And so we wake up every day, even though we want to throw in the towel, and we go to truth instead of lies. This means we may have to put our phone aside. This means we may have to cut off a relationship or two. This means we may have to stop listening to certain people or certain influences or mediums, right? We, we want the truth. And he says righteousness, which in this context, he means like do right things. One of the best ways for your faith to be built up and to not quit is to get some momentum of obedience. I, I did good things today. I did good things the next day. I've, it's been like five days. I'm doing some good things. Does God love you no matter what? 100%. But you'll love yourself more if you do good things. And here's what's true. If you believe the truth, but you do bad things, you'll eventually change your beliefs. You can't hate yourself that much. You'll wake up in the morning and you'll look in the mirror and you'll know that you're doing things that are not true. And instead of changing what you do, you'll change what you believe is true. You just can't hate yourself that much. What's the good news? Paul's saying, when you wake up tomorrow, believe the good news. What's the good news? That you are more sinful than you wish you were, but you are more loved and accepted by God than you ever believed you could be. And so as you fall, was it on your best day? That's fine. But on your worst day, that you are still a child of God, loved by God. He went to the cross for you while you were still in your sin. The lowest, most gross, despicable version of you is the version he knew of when he decided to go to the cross. That's good news. And so Paul says, man, when you're having that bad day, when you're, you're having that bad week, when you think you're not worth it, when, when the devil convinces you that you're a lost cause, you put on your feet and you get peace from the good news that says, you're right, devil. I'm not as much as I wish I was, but I am more loved by God than I ever believed that I could be. I, I don't have time to keep going. I'm over my time. Salvation. What's Salvation. Salvation is knowing that you are saved. Not only are you saved when you put your faith in Christ, but that ultimately you will be saved. So the devil shows up and he gets in your head and he says, like, you're not a Christian. You're not saved. You're fake. You're a hypocrite. Maybe, that, maybe we get these dark fears of death. What happens to me when I die? Where will I go? And Paul says, listen, man, what I want you to do is I want you to put on the helmet of salvation. We don't want to get too lost in the metaphor of the head, but there's something to that because this is the battlefield. And so you got to convince yourself in your mind, whether I feel like it or not, I am a child of God. I am saved. Christ has saved my soul and he will save me in the end for eternity. Paul says, please don't do this by yourself. Lean on the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit. This is the only offensive weapon he gives us. Oh, I've skipped faith, didn't I? Faith, but faith is just the shield. Faith is believing. It's protecting yourself and believing and getting your hopes up and trusting that God's gonna do something good. 
But the only offensive weapon that he gives us in this description is the sword of the Spirit. The Spirit gives us power. The Spirit gives us gifts. The Spirit gives us the ability to advance, to win, to move. And so this is more than just some cute little kid bedtime Bible story. Paul says, when the enemy comes at you to try to influence you with evil lies, to get you to quit, to throw in the towel, to ultimately win your soul, what I want you to do is I want you to, to, to have truth and righteousness and good news and faith and salvation and the, and, and the Spirit so that you will stand. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't do it. My heart for so many of you today, this week, has just been that maybe, I mean, I said a lot today. I always say a lot, all right? But maybe you would just leave here with more hope and more faith to not quit, to not throw in the towel, to not give in to bad ideas, not give in to lies, to believe the truth, even if it's inconvenient or unfamiliar. And now, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And you're going to have the opportunity to take communion. We do this every week. And if you'd like to participate, you can. But you'll come down and you'll take the bread and you'll dip it in the juice. And in that moment, you can be reminded. It's actually why Jesus said to do it. He said to remember. So in that moment, you'll have the opportunity to be reminded that you are a child of God. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a child of God, that you are saved, that Christ did the work for you on the cross, and he gives you everything you need to stand the test of time until ultimately he will save you for eternity. So we take the bread, we dip it in the juice, and we say, thank you, Jesus, that on my best day I'm a child of God, but on my worst day I'm a child of God too. How do you know that? How could you be so sure? This bread represents the body that was broken, and this juice represents the blood that was shed, not because I deserved it, but because he loved me so much he was willing to do it. So I'm going to pray for us. There'll be prayer volunteers after the sermon you can pray with while we sing together in communion if you'd like to do that. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus Christ that you did not leave us to fight the enemy on our own, somehow open-ended, somehow ambiguous, not knowing whether or not we could win or whether or not we had the resources to win, but we don't have to worry about that, God, because you sent Jesus. And on the cross, on the cross, death and evil was defeated. And you've already, you've already won it. And between now and the end, when you will settle it once and for all, for eternity, you give us what we need to not just barely make it, but to stand strong confident in you. So God, I pray for every Christian who's in the room, who's put their faith in you. I pray they would leave with more faith, be encouraged, more faith, more hope, not to quit, not to throw in the towel. But God, I pray for every person in the room right now who's not a believer. They have not put their faith in you. They are not a Christian. Maybe they do have thoughts about what's next in life or after life. Maybe they are concerned about what's happening spiritually. They don't know how to put the language. Maybe, maybe they're here today, God, because you have orchestrated every step in their life up to this moment because they are finally ready to stop putting their faith in themselves and put their faith in you. God, I pray that today would be that day. Thank you for your body and your blood that was shed. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said.